the challenge around belonging is that in order to have this experience of belonging, which is, you know, a prerequisite for that is psychological safety. So the experience that you have when it's not expensive to be yourself, in order to get that, you've got to have inclusion. And in order to get inclusion, you have to have diversity. But you can have diversity without inclusion, right? So you can, diversity to me is a fact. Your organization either is or is not diverse. Welcome to You Belong in the C-Suite podcast. You are ambitious in life and in your career, but something is missing. You want to bring more of your passion to what you do, because let's be honest, you pour a ton into your work and it needs to mean more. I'm your host, Laura Eigel. I'm a mom, wife, PhD, coach, advocate, introvert, and indoor rowing fanatic. I'm passionate about living a life that's in line with my values we'll give you the actionable tips and tools you need to lead with your values, make a difference and have career success. The world needs more diversity and authenticity in the top jobs at organizations. Your leadership belongs there. You belong in the C-suite. Hi there friends. My first book, Values First, how knowing your core beliefs can get you the life and career you want is now out in the world. Thank you so much for your support of the book. With your help, we are a number one Amazon bestseller in the business ethics category and a number one new release for time management in business and business etiquette. I have poured my heart into this book with personal stories and stories for my coaching clients using the values first framework. Between the constant pressure of job performance and demands on your time, it's easy to lose sight of your values letting them shift out of alignment. Those simple misalignments are keeping you from feeling joyful and fulfilled. Learn how to recenter your life and career around what truly matters to you. Order Values First now at your favorite independent bookstore or at Barnes and Noble or Amazon. I wanna make sure that you are the first to know about every book activity that we have in store, including virtual and in-person events. Stay up to date by joining our list at thecatchgroup.com slash values first. That's thecatchgroup.com slash values first. Welcome to this week's episode of the You Belong in the C-Suite podcast. I'm excited to welcome DDS Dobson-Smith. DDS has spent the last 25 years introducing individuals, teams, and organizations to the fundamental joys and benefits of belonging. They are the founder and CEO of the executive coaching consultancy, Soul Trained, consulting for big brands like Target and Spotify, as well as a registered neuro-linguistic psychotherapist and certified as an executive coach by the Oxford School of Coaching and Mentoring. Before founding Soul Trained, DDS held a range of senior executive and C-suite roles across a host of sectors and companies, including Marks and Spencer, Eurostar International, Crossrail LTD, Sony Music Entertainment, and Essence Global, part of the world's largest advertising company, WPP. They are the best-selling author of You Can Be Yourself Here. Today, we talked about DDS's career and their value of lifelong learning. We also talked about what belonging is and the importance of having complex, messy conversations at work. We talked about the work that DDS is most excited about doing right now with their clients 
and about their new and upcoming books and the writing process. Let's get started. Well, I want to welcome you to the You Belong in the C-Suite podcast, DDS. I'm really excited to be connected with you and to share the space with you today and just welcome. Thank you so much. It's lovely to be here. Well, I'd love if you don't mind, if we can get started with just understanding more about who you are and your story. Mm. Right. Okay. <laughs> it's a it's a very big question. I know it's a, it's a very big question. Um, as a as a forty eight year old white British immigrant to the U.S. who is a member of the queer community, there are many facets to the story. But I think maybe I'll just focus in on the like the professional journey that has probably led to where where I am today, which is it's probably going to be more interesting for the people listening. So. I'm the CEO and founder of Soul Trained, which is an executive coaching consultancy that is on a mission to to create a world of leaders who are worth following and also to to create workplaces around the the world where people can be themselves. And that Soul Trained has been around for about three years. And prior to that, I had a 25 year long career in various different industries around and companies around the world, all in HR predominantly in org psych, org development, learning and development. How I got into HR was a complete and utter accident because my undergrad was in hospitality management in the UK. I grew up in a pub. Um, The service industry is in in my genes and so is my own kind of service orientation, which I think makes for a really great HR professional, if, I, if I'm honest. But I was, I remember I, I was doing my undergrad and, I, and there was a fellow student who was a mature student and she was a, uh, a head of department at a local hospitality college. And she said, I think you'd make a great teacher. And I was like, okay, cool, let's do it. And so, and so um, she gave me a job at her hospitality college and I was teaching a course in public house operations. And I remember there was a guy called Howard in my group who was born on the same day in the same year as one of my parents. And he'd owned his pub for longer than I had been alive. I was so young. I was like 24 and he had his pub for like 26, 27 years. And I remember handing him back an assignment that I had graded with a C and I, I looked him in the eyes and I, I, and I was like, what the heck am I doing? I mean, talk about imposter syndrome. I was like, what is, how can I be doing this right now? And, and in that moment, I was like, okay, I'm going to go out into industry. I'm going to get some experience on, under my belt, some miles on the clock. And I wanted to go and find a job that was as closely related to teaching and, and helping people as, as, as much as possible. And, and that's how I fell into HR. I got a I got a job at the great British retailer Marks and Spencer. And in those days, because we're talking a long time ago, it wasn't called HR. It was called personnel management. <laughs> um, and so I was a personnel management trainee. And then over the years, started to specialize in learning and development. And I qualified as a coach in the early 2000s. And when I was coaching people, I, I noticed that coaching is super effective but to a certain certain depth and to a certain degree and I found myself kind of butting up against this barrier that 
if I if I had some different skills in my tool set, I could I could probably go a little bit deeper for my clients and get them really longer lasting change. So I decided to train as a psychotherapist. And so I qualified as a psychotherapist and um, I've been practicing for about 15 years. And then in 2014, my husband and I left the UK and moved to the US. We, we came on a two-year assignment that led, we've actually now been here nine years. So two years led to three, three to four, and then a green card. And I decided I wanted to practice psychotherapy again. And it turned out that it was it was not an easy job to transfer my credentials from the from the UK to the state of California, where I lived at the time. So I went back to school. And while I was at school, I, I did a research project that was all about belonging and that was kind of in line with my with what my career had been doing, which was, you know, leaders who are worth following and creating workplaces where people can be themselves, did this research project. And as a result of it, this academic paper popped out. And I was like, this academic paper needs to be a book. And of course, academic papers are, to most people, are kind of dry, boring stuff that you leave to the last minute when you've got to the end of the internet, you probably then turn to an academic paper. So I turned it, I, I the book is not an academic paper, it's full of I, I hope readers will feel humor and vulnerability and truth and personal story in there um, that really describes how to go about creating a climate of belonging in an organization. What an amazing journey of a career from, <laughs> from pubs to teaching to personnel management. <laughs> To psychotherapy, yeah. Um, to global moves, yes. Um, and a consultancy, yes. I love how your I I heard a red thread of continuous learning throughout all of it. Is that something that you value? Yeah, I think you would be. I think you're right in in that red thread. I believe that my purpose in this incarnation, in this meat suit, is to be a catalyst and to be in service to other people, helping them to become the, the them they want to be. And so, first of all, I feel like I need to role model what that looks like. And I really felt, you know, being in learning and development and org psych, if I'm trying to lead an organization and, and create a learning climate, I, I want the organization's people to look at me and go, oh yeah, DDS is doing that. Then if they're doing it, I can do it. So one was about walking my talk. And the other one was was being being increasingly and staying relevant and the top of my game and being able to be able to help people in the pursuit of their endeavors in increasingly impactful and, and potent ways. I love how you um, are modeling it because I think, so I, I've had also an HR career in learning and development and or, oh, cool. or development. Yeah. So while I was in HR, it wasn't traditional HR roles. It was more like roles like you and specialist yes. roles. And so there's companies that do it really well. And there's some that don't, there's some leaders who say that they do, and then they don't. But I think it's this idea of being, being there as a, a learning professional in org development, I always felt like a higher standard of like the, like the cobbler's children need really great shoes too. Like you, 
you have to, you have to live it. Otherwise no one else is going to do it. And your work now with people that you coach and companies that you work for, are you seeing more people modeling it or you, or do you still see kind of that? We think we need this, but when you get there, they're really not ready for it or they're not doing it yet. Yeah. I mean, I think I, you know, I, I work with people and companies who are able to say that they're ready for it. And, and I don't, I don't always think that we're ever really ready for it, whatever it is, you know, like I think we're, I think in the space of growth and change and transformation, there's going to be pain and there's going to be discomfort. And so I don't think we're ever fully ready for that. And, and at the same time, when I come across people who want to engage me as an executive coach, I can see very, very quickly if they want to engage with an executive coach in order to say they have an executive coach rather than do the work that is required that will happen when you work with a, an executive coach like me and probably like yourself. You know, it's like my second book that's coming out in September is called Leadership is a Behavior, Not a Title. And it really is about you know, it's, it's not about how do I, how do I be a, a great leader? It's how do I become someone worth following? And how do you become someone worth following? Well, you be a decent human being and being a decent human being with increasing amounts of skill and behavioral flexibility and choice. And that really means having a heightened level of self-awareness, having a heightened level of self-acceptance so that you can then develop. And that process of self-awareness, self-acceptance and self-development, as you know, Laura, can, if you, if you, if you put yourself into it, it's going to take you outside of your comfort zone slightly, and it's going to cause some degree of discomfort. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I'm very, I'm very careful now to not engage with organizations and people if they're, as you say, if they're not ready and if they just want to pay lip service, because that's, that's disheartening for me. It's annoying for them nobody wins. Yeah. Especially on the topic of belonging. Right. And as we're recording this, we're in pride month. And so there's, I've seen so many things on LinkedIn and are you really doing the work? Or are you just right. posting rainbow flags? Are right. you doing right. the work or are you, you know, and so this idea of, do you just want to do it? Because this is the yes. thing to do the buzzword right now. Yeah. And as you recruit people, um, from marginalized communities in your culture, is it a safe place for them to be? Right, exactly. Yeah, there's this whole thing that I'm reading about at the moment, you know, which is which is woke washing. So, you know, the idea that a company will, you know, slap a black square on its Instagram feed to say Black Lives Matter, but as soon as you look under the hood, there isn't a single black person in a position of power, or they'll put a rainbow on their on their logo, and again, you look under the hood. And there is zero queer representation anywhere in their management structure or, or their policies or practices. So, yeah. And, and then I think the challenge around belonging is that in order to have this experience of belonging, which is, you know, a prerequisite for that is psychological safety. So the experience that you have when it's not expensive to be yourself, in order to get that, you've got to have inclusion. And in order to get inclusion, you have to have diversity but you can have diversity without inclusion, right? So you can, diversity to me is a fact, your organization either is or is not diverse. 
look around. Are there people like you? And are there are there people that aren't aren't like you? The answer to both of those questions is yes, then chances are it's diverse. And there are ways in which to create that diversity. But once you've hired for diversity and you've created that diversity in your organization, if the organization doesn't behave in inclusive ways, then that diversity, that those quote unquote diverse hires are going to be like, time out, I don't feel safe here, I'm leaving. And when I say behavior, I mean organizational behavior. So policies, platforms, procedures, protocols, and also the behaviors of the leaders in the organization. And I've long said that the climate of any organization is going to be shaped by the worst behavior you're willing to tolerate in a leader. And so if, if there is anyone in leadership that is kind of, let's slap a rainbow on the logo, let's put a black square on Instagram and, you know, or a Ukraine flag, or I don't know, whatever it is. And then actually there isn't any kind of action, education, policy that supports that, then it, it's all, it's just empty and it's lip service. And, you know, women, black, brown, indigenous, Asian people, disabled people, queer people, we, we, have, we have had a lifetime of being able to see through the crap and we, will, and we see it immediately. We will see it whether it is, you know, icing on the cake or whether it's an actual cake of inclusion that's being, being baked. Yeah, I love the food analogies. <laughs> I, I'm here for those, DDS. <laughs> it's just about lunchtime. As we're recording, this is about lunchtime. So I think you must be hungry. <laughs> but um, I love the idea about icing versus the flavor, right? And it's, um, I think you're right. It's, uh, it's something that can be seen through. And it's, I feel, I feel like there's so many kind of different tensions right now with like great resignation and like all of these kinds of things, the shift of the social contract between employers and employees. Um, and so people are asking a lot more questions, which I love of their um, employer. And one of the things I've seen is there's sometimes really great companies with bad leaders. There's always those, right? But there's also sometimes so-so companies with okay leaders. And sometimes those are sometimes the worst um, because nobody's taking a stand for anything. What, do, what have you found with uh, some of the work that you're doing? Who's doing it really well and who's not? It would be probably unethical of me to name any of my, my clients in, in this situation, particularly those that aren't doing well. I mean, but we can read the press for the different exposés of you know, what a company says it is, and then how employees are, are standing up against the kind of mismatch of ideals. And just in the last 12 months, we just need to look at places like Meta and Disney, who are both great organizations, right? They are in, huge. And I'm sure they have, well, I know they have huge amounts of infrastructure supporting the historically excluded communities. And yet, there was something not joined up and not not fitting well that led to, you know, what happened in, in both of those situations. I, you know, I think when it's done well, it's it's not being done. It is being, it's being, right? Like it's it's not like when it's done well, it's not a task. It's not a and not a job that's given to the HR team. Yeah. It's not a job that's given to a head of DE&I to do. 
it's when a, a company has a set of targets that it sets itself to create diversity and that its leadership team and its people throughout the organization understand and recognize the importance of and the value of a diverse and inclusive workplace and that it that it isn't just relegated to somebody you know one one person flying the several flags for the entire message you know i there are some great organizations out there in the advertising world i see wpp leading the way in some of this um stuff which is just phenomenal I understand Target to be doing a great job in this space internally. So there, there are definitely, and, and I'm, you know, by naming people or, or by not naming organizations, that's not to say they're not doing a great job. They're just the two that, two organizations that I know that I see and that I watch doing great things. The world is more complex than ever, and a lot has happened in the last few years. A global pandemic, social unrest, recessions, hybrid and remote work, you name it, it is here. And it's hard to navigate home and work for yourself and for your team. Amid all of the disruptions in life and work, Values First is the formula for today. Living your values can keep you calibrated, centered, and aligned. This book gives you the tools as a leader to make tough decisions in life and work with your values first. Values first, how knowing your core beliefs can get you the life and career you want is now available wherever books are sold. Go to thecatchgroup.com slash values first to learn more and stay connected. That's thecatchgroup.com slash values first. Do you think it's possible to be a leader and create a, a culture of belonging at the leader level when you don't see it at the systemic level in an organization? I mean, I think it is, I think it's possible in a microcosm, right? So, you know, it's it's a bit like when I lived in the UK, I used to go to go to a gay bar that was in the middle of the ghetto. And when I was inside that gay bar, I was safe and I was loved and I could dance and I could do all of the things I could express myself. But leaving that gay bar, I I had to like put a put a jacket on. I, you know, it was almost like I had to be in incognito leaving it because of the safety that the lack of safety outside it. And I think that can occur in organizations, right? I think you can have a team in which you create that psychological safety that can be a little bubble within a larger system that is not working well. And, and that's, that is why we have the queer community, why there are so many women's groups, why there is you know, support groups for disabled people, why, there, why we have AAPI month and Black History Month to create those microcosms, those bubbles of safety and community in an otherwise system that causes harm you know the, just the system that we all exist in let alone the organizations but just the broad system that in, in which women queer people disabled people people of color are sometimes legislated against and um, if not legislated against then the cards are stacked against anyway in terms of you know the impossible tasks that we have in order to prove our worthiness and what does that say for the work that we need to do moving forward? Are you hopeful 
Are you discouraged? How does it, how does it feel? I'm both of those things. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I, I'm 48. And so when I grew up in the UK, I grew up in a time of a piece of legislation called Section 28, which is a bit, which is very similar to the kind of don't say gay bill that's happening in Florida. So it was it was in the Thatcher government and, and there was a, a law that said you can't talk about homosexuality, you can't promote homosexual lifestyles in the classroom. And uh, I also, you know, I was also a coming of age when the AIDS epidemic hit and that was reported by the the New York Times as being a gay cancer. And that was a very, very impressionable time for me. And, and it threw me back into the closet. There was, there were, I was scared, I was frightened. And we've come a long way. You know, today we see we see black, brown, indigenous people in, well, mostly black and brown people in adverts, in in we see them on TV. Same with queer people. We have women in positions of power, not enough, but we have women in positions of power. So we have come a long way, but boy, have have we got work to do. You know, the march continues. And I think what's really important, I think in this space is that in order to continue the progress, we have to be prepared to be wrong because in order to have these conversations about equity, that therefore, and inclusion that therefore drives this experience of belonging. We have to be prepared to say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing, take accountability for our behavior, feel guilt, anxiety, blamed or shamed and recover from it anyway. Because if we don't have those conversations and I understand that all of those feelings of blame as a psychotherapist, I get it. We don't like to be blamed. We don't like to feel shame. We don't like to feel guilt and hurt doesn't always equal harm. It's okay. You can have your feelings hurt. You can feel sad or guilty and you can recover from it. And you can still face these conversations and have these messy conversations, complex, messy conversations. We've got to be willing to have those. And that's a lot, I think, why organizations systemically, we don't move quick enough in this space because we're scared of having messy conversations because we don't like messiness in a capitalist economy. I could not agree more with you. I I feel like we're probably not even having just the regular hard conversations we should be having about performance and just giving feedback in general. And so if we're not doing that, we're sure as heck not doing all the other complex, messy things that you just mentioned too. Right, right. hundred percent. So I will take both of those as well. Hopeful and a lot of work to do. Yeah, (laughs) moving forward. I I agree. Um, What is the work that you just love working with your clients right now? What are you most enjoying? Uh, Well, I'm I'm very much enjoying my clinical practice. At the moment, it's full with trans youth um, or the parents of trans youth that are trying to figure it out for themselves and trying to get their, you know, trying to make sense of what's happening and as are their, as are their kids trying to make sense of it. And that brings me a lot of joy because I feel like I'm giving back um, and, and having an impact in a community that, that needs it. And then in my coaching work, I, I love my clients. Like I love all of my coaching clients. I look forward to seeing them. I'm happy to see them. And that is because they come to the conversations and they want to grow. And it's 
some of our conversations around are, are around inclusion and belonging. Most of them are about them wanting to become a leader who is worth following and to put in the hard yards to do that. And that is, it just brings me all kinds of joy. I love that so much. And so you have one book already out called You Can Be Yourself Here. And then your next book is coming out, you said in September. So yes. tell me about, you like you like the writing process, I would imagine. Yes? Um, well, or no? <laughs> I mean, you would, you would think if I'm putting two books out, but I guess I... Well, the first book I had to like it, it was something I had to write for school. But even when I'm writing papers and I, you know, I start my doctorate in um, in September. So even even when I'm writing papers, I can only write them when the mood takes me like it's a, I think it's a bit like, you know, you can't force creativity. It, mm-hmm. it has to come. And when it comes, it comes and it just flows out. So, but both, you know, the the first book was as a result of an academic paper. The second book is a result of my life's work. Mm. It is experience, it's blogs that I've written that I've, you know, put together. It's frameworks that I've designed. It is, you know, drawing from the world of psychology, from org dev, org, um, org psych, and my experience of working with leaders around the world at all different levels. And so it just seemed to kind of pour out of me so I'm really looking forward to that second book coming out in September as well with it's funny you know I people ask me when the first book came out they're like oh yeah your book's out and I'm like yeah cool and they're like aren't you aren't you excited and as I said to you before you know it it, to me it, it was just like being a chef at a Thanksgiving dinner like by the time you sit down you've tried the green bean casserole and the turkey and the cornbread stuffing and you're kind of over the food but everyone else is really excited to eat it and um I'm very proud of myself for writing two books and I'm also like yeah that's on to the next thing (laughs) (laughs) well I love um how you just also casually drop that you're starting a a doctoral program too (laughs) I love it it's the the lifelong learner Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I start my PhD in human sexuality um, in September. Exciting. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it is. Congratulations. And I'm like, why? What the who? Why am I doing this? But, <laughs> and I'm and I'm doing it for all of the reasons that we've that we've just spoken about. Yeah, well, I have enjoyed our conversation so, so much, DDS. And um, I want to know how we should best connect with you. Oh, yeah. Feel free to connect with me on uh, LinkedIn, DDS Dobson Smith. And also you can head over to my company's website, which is www.soultrained.com. There's a page on the website called Shift Happens, which is packed full of blogs and articles and videos and podcasts that that will give you an idea, you know, give you an idea of how I work and, you know, me interviewing some clients and there's some cool stuff on there. Awesome. And again, your book called You Can Be Yourself Here is now available. And then your forthcoming book in September. So excited for you. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. And I hope you have a great rest of your day. I want to thank you so much for listening to the You Belong in the C-Suite podcast. If you are enjoying this content, please remember to rate and review on Apple Podcasts. 
by leaving a review, you are helping others find this content. We will be featuring five-star reviews on air in upcoming episodes. Editing and support for the podcast is done by S&E Podcast Management. To get more tips and tools to help you live a life guided by your values, go to thecatchgroup.com. Keep your boundaries and take care.